everyone, welcome to episode 49 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we've got 27 different CVEs to have a look at in terms of security updates for the past week. And I'm also going to have a chat with Joe about a recent CVE that was assigned for Python actually, but it was around uh, incorrect results in some scientific research. Uh, and then we'll have a bit of uh, discussion on community feedback on some desired features or security features for uh, the 2004 LTS release that's coming up in about six months from now. All right, so let's just get into it. So the first update I want to look at is for OpenEXR or OpenXR. Uh, this is uh, a library and a bunch of command line utilities for dealing with the OpenEXR image format. And actually that was developed by Industrial Light and Magic uh, as a high definition range uh, image format uh, for different computer imaging applications. So if you're someone in uh, the movie production industry or something like that, this is totally relevant to you because uh, there are a number of different issues, the kind of stuff we usually see as kind of memory safety issues in, uh, in in this case, a C++ code base. Uh, there were, in particular, a bunch of different out-of-bound uh, writes. So these are the kind of things that were usually just a few bytes past the end of a heap buffer or that kind of thing, but the kind of stuff that can clearly allow you to corrupt the heap and maybe corrupt heap metadata. Uh, so you either then end up with an assertion uh, failing, say, in um, glibc when it detects the heap is corrupted, or maybe you can corrupt the heap so that you can actually cause uh, bad effects and you can therefore get code execution as a result. Uh, so yeah, that being fixed, plus there was a bunch of out-of-bound reads as well. So they're usually the kind of thing that uh, because you're accessing invalid memory, uh, it then gets a segmentation fault and you crash the application. So the kind of thing that ends up in a denial of service. But yeah, they've all been fixed for OpenEXR. Uh, and that was for actually for Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Next up, we've got an update for Unbound. So this is the validating recursive DNS resolver. Uh, this was just for the Disco release. Uh, this one CVE was only relevant there. Uh, it was an out-of-bounds read again. Uh, this was, could be triggered remotely uh, with a specially crafted notify query. Uh, the kind of thing here though, you actually need a source IP that matches uh, one of your access control lists so that it actually could get accepted. Uh, so, you know, not necessarily easy to trigger, but yeah, this could result in crashing uh, unbound, the same kind of thing, because it's an out-of-bound read, you'll get a you know, invalid memory reference and uh, crash as a result. But that's been fixed for unbound. Uh, next up, we've got an update for Python. So two CVEs that were fixed for all of the various supported releases. That includes our extended security maintenance release, uh, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Uh, one of these uh, was in the XML RPC uh, server module, and which could end up uh, serving arbitrary JavaScript if you had set uh, or called the set server title uh, method and passed in you know, arbitrary JavaScript basically as the title because it wouldn't go and escape that content. Uh, so that was fixed, plus also uh, an, an issue in the Python email module. So uh, this module tries to uh, essentially parse email addresses and it will chop it up into a sender and a domain. So you know, alex.murray at canonical.com would end up with the sender alex.murray and a domain of canonical.com. Uh, but if the domain contained multiple at characters, it could get confused. And so it would give you, uh, you know, some invalid output as a result, not the actual domain. Uh, and if you had an application then that was relying on using this to validate email addresses, it could end up getting, uh, you know, an incorrect result. Uh, it wouldn't get what it expected back. And so you could end up uh, validating an invalid email address as a result. But yeah, they've both been fixed for Python. Next up is libsoup. So this is a uh, GNOME stack library for uh, doing HTTP uh, and other sorts of uh, connection stuff. Uh, and they had a heap buffer uh, out of bounds read 
they were failing essentially to check uh, that the length of a uh, or the length specified within a message matched the actual you know message itself that had been received or the, the total buffer. And so then they would call memcopy uh, to copy that message, but it would read past the end of the actual allocated buffer. And you know, again, being an out of bounds read, you'd likely get a crash. So you know, it could crash uh, libsoup, and that's used by a bunch of different things in the GNOME stack. But yeah, that's been fixed for Bionic and Disco. Uh, we've got an update for OpenStack next. Uh, OpenStack Octavia, uh, the in particularly the M4 images component, uh, this failed to properly validate client certificates for management network clients. So essentially, if you have anyone on your management or anyone with management network access, uh, would be able to issue you know um, com- config commands or to retrieve information uh, from uh, Amphora without having to actually be a validated client. So that's been fixed for uh, OpenStack and Disco. Uh, next up is a sudo. So this one, uh, actually there's quite a bit of press around this and I think a lot of that was a bit misguided. But uh, yeah, this was fixed for sudo in all of our supported releases. Again, the extended security maintenance ones, Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Uh, so as I say, a lot of press around this and they would seem to report this as a seemingly high profile privilege escalation vulnerability, which in one ways it was because uh, you could, as a potentially unprivileged user, call sudo and uh, be able to run things as root. So you could escalate your privileges to root even though you weren't meant to. However, uh, this wasn't in the default configuration. So in the default uh, configuration in Ubuntu, uh, users in the uh, the admin or sudo group uh, get uh, the ability to call sudo and you then have to enter in your password to authenticate. But uh, sudo can be configured in lots of different ways. And in particular, uh, they have these run as rules. So you can uh, call sudo and run a command as a different user, which I guess that's what it does, right? And usually you use it to run commands as say root, but maybe you could use it to run a command as, I don't know, maybe you've got Apache installed and you wanna run as the Apache user to go and mess with Apache's config and not change the owners or the permissions or anything like that. Who knows, right? so you can then specify that say you know a particular user could run particular commands as a bunch of different other users or as all of the other users so use the all keyword Uh, and so in that case you know if they can do that then they could run it as root that's fine but maybe you don't want them to be able to run that one command as root maybe they can run it as every other user on the system but not root and sudo is you know kind of infinitely configurable it supports this Uh, the problem was that if you had used that configuration then when this user goes to uh, run their command they have to then specify the user id they want to use and if they specified a user id of minus one sudo would end up using root as the actual user id so even though you would configure them to be able to run sudo or run this command as any user on the system but you had said not root uh, they could still run it as root if they chose a user ID of minus one. Uh, so yeah, this would only affect a very small number of installations, obviously not everyone, uh, but if you had configured sudo in this special way, you would have been affected, but uh, you're safe now. This has been updated. So yeah, as long as you've installed that update, you are fine for sudo. All right, we've only got a couple more to go through. Uh, the next one is a spell. So this is a library for doing spell checking. Uh, this has been fixed and again, all the supported releases. So uh, trusty ESM, Xenial, Bionic and Disco. Uh, there was a stack buffer uh, out of bounds read and this was found by Google's OSS fuzz uh, project. So this is basically a big cluster of machines that is continuously fuzzing a heap of different open source projects. 
and so in this case they're doing a spell and yeah they found a stack a stack based uh, buffer out uh, a stack based buffer overread so basically reading outside of bounds of a buffer on the stack and again the kind of thing that would just cause a crash so yeah, that's been fixed for a spell and last up we have an update for sdl so this is the uh, multimedia libraries particularly used by a lot of different game engines um, and we've fixed 12 different CVEs here for both Xenial and Bionic releases. So back in episode 48, uh, last episode, I talked about a bunch of different uh, fixes for SDL 2.0. In this case, we're looking at SDL 1, so the previous version, actually 1.2. And uh, back then I covered, a, I think, about uh, six of these CVEs, and they were all the high-priority ones. So we fixed all of those as well for SDL 1.2, plus rolled in a bunch of pending uh, lower-priority issues. These are kind of things that were just like out of bounds uh, reads to various buffers in uh, WAV file handling, that kind of thing. So again, the kind of thing that could be triggered by a you know, maliciously crafted file, but would only cause a crash as the uh, the result. So a denial of service. And again, because these are you know often used in game engines, you're not usually running on arbitrary content. You're running on you know the shipped um, media content of the game. So not necessarily easy to exploit. So another reason why these are low priority. But yeah, as I say, they've all been fixed for SDL uh, 1.2 in Xenial and Bionic. And that takes us to the end of the usual wrap up of fixes for the last week. And so up next, uh, as I said, I've got a chat uh, with Joe that we had about, um, actually, so, so Joe and I, we often talk about, um, you know, different breaches that have happened or different security issues. And this time I want to talk about something a bit different. So I had, um, I'm doing CVE triage this week. So I'm looking at all the different CVEs that are coming in and trying to figure out, you know, which ones they apply to different Ubuntu packages or not. And there was one against Python. But anyway, uh, you know, Joe and I will go into detail about that now. Hey Joe, so we're back again with the podcast for another week. We sure are. And I'm just going to um, throw a curveball at you here. Um, I I am a fan of sci-fi, which you could probably assume from the fact that I work in computers and do a weekly podcast on security with Alex. <laughs> but, um, there is a podcast I listen to called Sword and Laser from um, uh, Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont. And every week they kick it off with um, what they are drinking. And so I'm going to say today... I'm drinking a Virgil's Zero Sugar Vanilla Cream Soda. Alex, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a uh, peppermint and ginger tea, which is my kind of go-to during the day drink. In the morning, I'm always coffee, but uh, during the day, I go for peppermint, peppermint and ginger tea. Probably yeah. a better choice than my, my Stevia soda, but it's delicious. So. <laughs> In the evening, it would be a beer, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's daytime. So, all right. So, uh, this week, something that I've wanted to talk about was uh, a CVE that got assigned against Python, and it appears to be it's not actually for a vulnerability in Python itself, but in the way that it was used for uh, some scientific calculations. Yeah, this is kind of confusing. So, it wasn't security related, but it got a CVE. Well, yeah, well, that's just it. So. Uh, it was due to, there was some, um, a bunch of researchers that published some Python scripts to calculate um, or to analyze results of their nuclear magnetic resonance uh, microscopy, uh, sorry, spectroscopy. Uh, and it, this then got reused by other researchers doing similar work. Uh, the problem was they would use, uh, so it would have a directory of files that would have to then sort uh, to calculate the results across. 
and it used the Python glob function to do that. Uh, and it assumed, obviously, that the results were sorted when they came out. Uh, the problem was that this behaved differently on, uh, say, Linux versus Windows. And so if one set of researchers ran it on Windows, they would get one set of results. And if researchers then ran the same thing on Linux against the same uh, you know, data, they would get a separate set of results. And they wouldn't vary, it only varied by a few percent, so it wasn't a massive variance. But it's enough that uh, you know, it makes the research not reproducible depending on which platform it's running on. And uh, so, so this is you know, interesting from a scientific research point of view and being able to do reproducible research and all of that kind of stuff. But it did get assigned to CVU. Well, okay. I mean, I can imagine maybe if you're using that package for, let's say, statistical analysis of network traffic to do some sort of, I don't know, uh, smart intrusion detection system, I guess you could skew it as being security related. But Okay, so so we're looking at a package. Or, or is it just a bug, right? Because if it's in that case, you're like, oh yeah, so my intrusion detection system wasn't as reliable as I thought it might be, right? Is that a is that a CVE? Not really. No, no, that's a, that's, yeah. that's that's not a CVE. This is interesting. I, I guess if I wouldn't have assigned it a CVE, um, but I guess I'm not MITRE. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, so I, it's, it's still awaiting analysis uh, uh, by oh, okay. uh, by. Uh, well, the, you know, by MITRE and uh, the NVD, uh, National Vulnerability Database. So I wonder um, whether it may get rejected, it may get disputed, but it feels um, you know, like it's it's an interesting bug, as a lot of you know bugs are, uh, you know, as to how they occur. And yeah, I just don't see that this is a security thing, but it's it got me thinking about the way that CVEs can sometimes get uh, kind of misused or misunderstood. And so... The idea of CVEs really is that you have a single identifier that identifies a given vulnerability or exposure. You know, that's what um, the, the E in CVE stands for. Uh, but the idea is that it, it applies to a particular flaw, usually in a particular product, right? And so they're very mm -hmm. specific. Uh, there aren't many cases where they get used to cover these kind of more wide-ranging issues where you might have something that, um, like an implementation flaw that affects many different products. And so the few times we have seen that recently is the Intel uh, side channel vulnerabilities, Spectre and Meltdown and the other ones. Uh, they got sort of a single CVE for, say, Spectre uh, v1, but, you know, that affects, say, the kernel and then a heap of different other software packages that all may have, you know, sort of speculative execution vulnerabilities and gadgets within them. And that then made some of those kind of hard to track. And actually, there was a recent talk by Greg Crow-Hartman, one of the kernel developers, about how he thinks that CVEs are misused and well not well used at all in the kernel and how you know if you're just using cves to track vulnerabilities there are so many different bugs that are fixed in the kernel every day and they don't get cves even though they might be security relevant or not but no one's done the analysis to know that right so no one's assigned yeah. cves and so if you are only um you know taking say fixes for your kernel that are cves then you're missing a lot of different different fixes that you probably need to actually be properly patched and be secure yeah, I mean, along those lines, we've been doing a lot of work in the ROS space lately. So with ROS, um, we were running a bunch of packages through our static analysis tools and finding bugs and working with Upstream to fix them. We weren't getting CVEs, although some of them were security bugs. Actually, almost all of them were. But they just weren't, in, in my mind, they weren't earth-shattering enough or widespread enough to need a CVE because they were fixed. And just the way the ROS packaging works, most people got updates in a reasonable amount of time if you use your Catkin or Qualcomm tools. Um, so I can see what you're saying about the kernel folks. Um, although 
I'm just going to step back and put my I used to be a professor hat on and, and, and think about some of the claims in the articles I read about this tool, about the errors with this tool suite. They were saying it invalidated hundreds of, of articles. Um, and I have to wonder if it truly did invalidate those because if the findings were great enough that a small percentage difference was important, I would think that people would have tried to reproduce those results. And if people couldn't reproduce those results, this would have been discovered a long time ago. I think this, they said this bug has existed since like t- 2014 or something. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe the headlines are a little grandiose and it's not quite as invalidating the results of hundreds of papers just because this package was used. And I think they did call in the article, well, we don't know whether what platform it was run on, et cetera. Um, but my, my impression would be if these were used in in something that was truly, um, I'll say, world-changing, that they would have been, the, the, the experiments would have been tested and vetted again before the claims were made on multiple platforms by multiple labs. At least that's what I would think, and maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, I mean, as someone who's not uh, deeply embedded in the scientific community, I'm not too sure how much... Um, sort of the reproducible research stuff uh, gets out there. I guess ideally I would like to hope that when uh, researchers are submitting their uh, their publications, that along with them is a table of you know scripts and results and things that others can use to try to uh, verify that research. But uh, you know, I guess there's only so much you can do, right? Because uh, let's say it's, you know, you're, you've done some, um, you know, some work in a lab, you know, that's actually mm-hmm. like, I don't know, biology lab or whatever. And, you know, those, you can't send those actual samples, right? All you can send is mm-hmm. the, the data that you collected at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, there's only so much that can be reproduced, but it, yeah, it does, like you say, you know, if it, if it can't be, if it wasn't being reproduced uh, to sort of get the results, then how um, important was the work to begin with? Uh, yeah, hard, hard to judge. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to belittle other people's work. I'm assuming that maybe the small percentage difference in their papers is, wouldn't have made a difference. That's why this went undetected. Exactly. Yeah. Is it a statistically significant difference? Probably not. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, it, it also, I would say it's kind of interesting because have they released an update to this package yet? Did you see that? Yeah, I think they have. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the, the later ones uh, have got their own, like they they don't rely on uh, Glob doing the underlying sorting. They go and purposefully sort first before they, mm-hmm. they pass it to Glob. So, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that just feels to me like, well, it's just a bug, right? Like like mm-hmm. we see lots of bugs. Um, is it a CVE? Probably not. Very cool. Um, yeah. I think I'm with you. It's probably not a CVE, but we've, um, I think we've covered this one, Alex. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, Great. Uh, Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks as always for that, Joe. Uh, We'll talk to you again in another week. All right. So up next, uh, I just want to uh, mention some feedback that we had uh, from the previous episode. So back in episode 48, uh, Joe and I uh, put out a call for anyone that has um, feedback on their desired features that they would like to see in the uh, 2004 release, the next long-term support release that will be released in May, uh, that will be released in April next year. And uh, we had Cavzo, uh, one of our users, reply on uh, discourse.ubuntu.com in the uh, security section there and had um, requested uh, encrypted home directories and guest accounts. So both of these are features that used to be supported uh, in older Ubuntu releases. 
and they have gone uh, kind of by the wayside for a couple of different reasons. So encrypted home directories um, would supported using the eCryptFS uh, module and that has since uh, kind of bit rotted. It's uh, not really been maintained more recently. And so the decision was made uh, a few releases back to drop that and instead uh, switch to using full disk encryption. So now uh, when you install Ubuntu, you can select to have the entire disk encrypted, not just say your home directories. And uh, then you get the, the benefits of having encryption at rest uh, when your machine's off. So if your you know, machine's stolen, no one can access the data. And so that kind of replaces uh, home directories. Uh, the other thing they wanted was guest accounts. And so again, this was something that used to be supported in older releases, particularly when using uh, the Unity desktop with the light uh, DM, light uh, display manager, the component uh, that pops up first when you boot your machine and you have to enter in you know, and, uh, your username and password to log in. And so when uh, Unity was dropped, we switched to the GNOME stack. And so now uh, we're using the GNOME display manager GDM instead and doing guest accounts with that uh, has been quite a tricky feature to try and add. And in particular, uh, there's been a couple different um, calls that have been put out previously on the uh, desktop part of the discourse.ubuntu.com asking for feedback on guest sessions. And I've, I've linked to these both in um, the, the, my response that I put to Cavzo on the uh, forum. But in particular, uh, back in 2017, there was polling done, you know, to kind of see who was actually using guest sessions or who would want guest sessions, you know, to kind of be implemented again back for the previous LTS release for Bionic 1804. And there was a lot of mixed feedback there. Uh, but then as a follow-up, uh, the desktop developers put a brain dump of their thoughts on guest session progress uh, back in 2018. And so this is kind of thing that's, uh, I think, back on the back burner now, uh, but it is being tracked on Launchpad. And again, you, know, you can see the link to that if you want to, to follow along. So yeah, thanks again, Cavso, for, uh, for your feedback. I really appreciate it. And if anyone else, if you have feedback as well for um, features you might want to see or anything else really related to Ubuntu security, yeah, I urge you to check out discourse.ubuntu.com and the security section on there. We'd love to uh, interact with you there. That'd be awesome. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, you can reach the team at security at ubuntu.com. Or if you like IRC, you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freenode.net. Uh, the, we also have the Ubuntu Harden mailing list if you like email and you want to do it in a more public forum. Or if you like discourse, as I've mentioned before, we have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And finally, if Twitter is your thing, you can find us at Ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter. So thanks again, everyone, for listening for another week. Uh, it's been great doing this again. Uh, remember, until next time, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. And I will speak to you again soon. Bye.